everybody. Welcome to episode eight of Grumpy Old Ben's. I am Darren O'Neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America, just outside of Chirac, where making the upside down OK symbol is a white power thing. And from America's left coast, where sunrise is a four letter word. I'm Sir Ryan Bemrose. On today's show, we're talking about ubiquitous surveillance. It's, it's words much easier to say than they are to type. But hey, it's a concept that was on Sir Ryan Bemrose's list as something he's wanted to cover. And it's something that I've been kind of running into on a bunch of different things. And now that you've mentioned this topic, there's a lot of things I'm seeing in a slightly different light. We'll be going through that. What ubiquitous surveillance is, as well as how you can try to protect yourself and things you can do in your daily life to not fall completely under the radar where everybody can see everything you're doing. So why don't you give us a primer, Sir Ryan Bemrose, on what ubiquitous surveillance is? Well, in the short, it's the idea that you now have electronic things or that are recording your every single move at all times of the day. If you walk down the city streets of London, then uh, that, that was the original one where you were being recorded by 20 cameras at any given time. You know, many, many cities are following that model now, but it's not limited to that anymore. Now we've got stories coming out of trying to get on a plane and, uh, you know, oh, your face is your boarding pass. And now you and you don't even if you're uh, if you're hooked in with the Silicon Valley, you don't even have to be connected uh, or, or you don't even have to be out in public to be surveilled because uh, we all have these little puck shaped devices in our houses that are just listening to us all the time. That's what I mean by surveillance. Right. So we go from this massive, large thing, and then we'll kind of whittle our way down into like the devices and things that we carry along with us. But facial recognition is a really good place to start with this because it's been around, I think, longer than people realize as far as being in use, because I think the first well, governments, I'm sure, were the first to use this, but the first time I remember hearing about non-government entities using this kind of technology was in the casinos in Las Vegas, and I'm sure otherwise. I, I remember reading something where somebody said, hey, if you ever notice, most of these casinos, when you're going into them, a lot of times you're, there's a, like a, either a thin hallway you have to go through, or a lot of times, especially, there's an escalator you have to be on. And when they're like, well, why do you think that is? Because when you're on an escalator, 99% of the people just get on, they stand, they look forward and they, for this 20 seconds, whatever it is, you're on the escalator. It's also the perfect place to have cameras capturing the people coming in and do the facial recognition on. So this was the, one of the first things I remember hearing this happening was Vegas looking for the people that have been banned from the casinos for, you know, cheating in cards, you know, counting cards or pulling other kind of shenanigans. But this is where the first time I heard about this, but now it goes way further than Vegas, doesn't it? Well, when the physical cameras started getting installed everywhere, uh, I was still too young for Vegas, but uh, they at least have a pretty good financial reason to do it. The first time that I ever saw the, this surveillance, I was probably 10 or 12 and they had installed them in our county courthouse. And uh, I didn't grow up in a county that was the center of a giant urban area or anything. They just uh, decided that, you know, hey, there were cameras that, that there's this new technology and we need to install it because what if somebody comes in and decides to sinisterly pay their taxes or something? <laughs> well, I would hate to do that. Well, I hate to pay taxes regardless. So, I mean, there's security reasons 
obviously behind these kind of cameras, but it's going beyond that now with stores installing them so they can get a concept of one, what their demographic is, who's coming in the door. And we'll start breaking this down even a little bit further in the fact that a lot of stores now will use multiple types of surveillance while you're in the store. And again, this is something when I was growing up working for my, well, I worked at a bookstore for a few years. I worked at Spencer's Gift for uh, one day. (laughs) There's a story there too. But when you were working retail, I mean, you understood theft was a possibility. So having a few cameras in the store, looking for people that were shoplifting, that was understandable, but people were watching the cameras and the cameras weren't smart. If we can use that term uh, the way they are today to where they can do the facial recognition and things like that. And I don't think a lot of people realize that stores now are using facial recognition on you along with pinging your phones. And we've talked about before, even if you have your mobile data off, if you have Wi-Fi on, on your telephone, and I believe even if you don't have Wi-Fi on, there's certain ways, maybe it's through Bluetooth, there's certain ways that they can still get an identifier from your phone. Wi-Fi, I believe, is the biggest and maybe all the time. I may be wrong thinking there's other ways to do this, but they take that identifier and now they can match that with your face because they got cameras all over the place. And because the, the location between the cameras and your phone, they can be like, oh, let's see, this person stopped in front of this Samsung TV uh, display and they were there for 60 seconds. And then they went over to the Sony one and they were only there for 12 seconds. I mean, there's all sorts of data, which is what ubiquitous surveillance, I think, comes down to in today's day is it's all about the data, right? Oh, I'm sorry. I, you're, you were doing your podcast. You were on a roll. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you, you hit on a lot of topics there. I think, uh, I think you, you definitely nailed the, the real reason why it's concerning. We've had cameras pointed at us for more than a generation by now. If, if something was there when, when you and I were young, then obviously it's old technology by now. But the real concern now is, is the only thing that happened with those camera feeds before was either they were stored or they were shown live to a human and that human got to make human decisions based on it. And you know, there's only so far they can go. But now these new camera feeds are being fed into AI. And so the number of things that we can do is limitless. Uh, the first and foremost is that uh, you're, if you're limited by the amount of hours that you can spend to pay a security guard to stare at a camera, then you're not going to be looking at every moment of film. You're going to be trying to highlight the things that are egregious. But if you just have an AI that can look at every moment of film, then suddenly you can catch every single time that a dude walks by your display and doesn't glance at it for the purpose of improving your marketing message. And getting them to stare, you know, maybe add some flashing lights or glitter bombs or something. Well, yeah, those are always fun. And then the interesting thing to me is I was 10 years old in 1980. So we can want to use that like as a reference. The difference in surveillance between 1980 and now is absolutely completely off the charts being you didn't have you know, red light cameras. You didn't have when you went out in public, you weren't expecting to be hit with a camera. You weren't expected. It's, it's a safe assumption in 2019 that if you are in public, you're being surveilled somewhere. Almost everywhere, because there are cameras now literally everywhere, especially with the rise of these. I was going to use I don't want to use the brand name, but everybody knows ring doorbell. Oh, yeah. All these doorbells that have cameras in them. There's an interesting legal question about that one. 
One of the things that we've always we've had in the U.S. at least is most states have uh, wiretapping laws, which basically say you are not allowed to record somebody's conversation without their consent. And uh, Washington, in particular, is a two-party consent state, which means that I can't record you unless you know that I'm recording you and you're okay with it. Although, if I inform you that I'm recording you, then if you continue talking, that can that that's considered consent, which is how big companies always get away with saying this call is being recorded for convenience and, and surveillance training purposes. purposes. Yes. Oh, training. That's the word they use. It's not. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Both. But, but when that that robo message at the very beginning saying this call is being recorded, that counts as consent. If you continue talking to your representative, then you are consenting to be recorded on the call. And I think everybody's okay with that. But if I walk up and ring somebody's doorbell, what if I don't consent to being recorded? And what if they haven't told me that they're recording? You know, secret surveillance inside your house or on your front porch is actually a bit of a legal gray area, I think. And I I think that it's going to be interesting to see if somebody ends up getting sued over that. Well, because there's a lot of different areas. And if you have a question for you, too, that you can prepare while I'm giving my long winded answer here. Uh, Void Zero in the chat room wants to know how you define AI. But you think about that while I go on with the fact that there are most laws in a lot of these states allow for video surveillance but not for audio surveillance which is weird to me because i would think video is a much more uh, intimate thing but there are places where you can video anybody which is how these cameras maybe this is the legality as far as that goes but you can't audio record but these devices these ring doorbells also take audio so that is where the interesting part starts coming in that it may be the audio recording may get people into more trouble than video and there's no way if every third house on your block has one of these doorbells facing the street there's no way for you to opt out and every time you leave your home you have to go down your street i mean unless you're a super ninja you know but if you're especially if you're leaving with a car you have to go down your street some of those cameras are going to catch you so all of your movements right there right off the bat are going to be captured but what do you tell me what do you how do you define ai Oh, AI, that's simple. It's if, then, else, over and over again. <laughs> Just a lot of if statements. That's when, when somebody puts AI in their VC funding proposal, that's usually what they mean is we're going to, we're going to use an algorithm. We're, we're going to have some computer code that can make decisions based on inputs, which when I was going to school for programming really just meant uh, a program, but, but now it's AI. Which is the thing that's taking all of this data and which is what we've all become is data to be to be fair putting aside the hyperbole there are some amazing things being done with uh, machine learning and automatically generated if then statements yeah i mean they could take coffee cups out of game of thrones <laughs> that's uh no I, I think they probably did that the old-fashioned manual way no i think they said they use adobe's program which is really a disservice to the starbucks franchise in westeros i'd like to tell you right well they were saying i don't even understand they're saying how much money that brought into starbucks but that was you know the new Adobe thing, they have it in Photoshop, they have it in Premiere. You basically just draw a little lasso around the thing you want to get rid of and press, eh, get rid of it. It's content aware. It looks at everything around it and it does a really good job. But that's AI to me. It learns or at least guesses on what you want done. And since we're, this is just data, the yeah. what you're taking, what you're editing from Game of Thrones, 
is just data. And now we as people, everything that we do is just data. There's really no difference, sadly. That is AI. That is a computer program doing something smart and interpretive with data around it. But what I mean is that's also every program ever is taking data around it, processing it and doing something with it. So uh, it's a bit of a blurry line that to cross over from uh, just a computer algorithm and a series of steps to actual artificial intelligence where you're doing something smart. So the marketing distinction between I, I use the phrase AI a little bit disrespectfully because the distinction between a program and AI is is really just a, a marketing term in Silicon Valley. And you know how I feel about marketing. But I think we've gone off the topic, have we? Yes. Well, let's go back to 1980. Oh, my God. And think about on your, on your well, we'd like to, but think about the daily life. Where were you being surveilled? The, when you picked up the phone to call somebody, they had a record of that. You were being surveilled, but there was a 99.99999% chance nobody was recording that unless you were a criminal and they had to get a specific tap on your phone. But that you, when you walked out of the house, there were no cameras on you. When you drove down the street, there were no cameras on you. I was 10 years old, taking the bus to school. There were no cameras. Were you driving at 10 years old? So, well, he actually, I was driving before that, but not legally. There was a story about when I was like four or five, because I was always a big kid. I mean, I'm six foot six now. So I was able to like reach the pedals that my mom got out to talk to a neighbor and left the car running, you know, because who would think your five-year-old whatever would jump into the driver's seat and hit drive? You know, I did. So I was driving way before 10. It was just a very short drive and I, I probably was punished severely for it, but I wasn't being surveilled. So my parents didn't, and they weren't being surveilled. Which is how you were able to get away with it. Yes. See there, you could get away with a lot more things then. If your parents had been surveilling you, you wouldn't have been misbehaving. Exactly. See, so the surveillance culture screwing with kids having fun. There's no doubt about it. But you think about that. There were no when you went out and did things, when you went out with your friends, there was no concept that you were going to be caught on a camera, you know, except maybe if you went into a bank or something like that. Most likely those recordings only lived for a matter of days. We're now forget the fact that Chicago, London, all these have cameras up. Chicago has the best thing Chicago has, though, are the microphones planted around the city that specifically identify gunshots and try to tell you where they come from. <laughs> Well, that's Chicago. And that, I, I suppose that's good sense if, if you can't trust your informants. Right. But, you know, that is the difference in how quickly this constant surveillance culture has arrived. And it's interesting to me that as a society, we're not more freaked out by the fact that everywhere we go, everything is being recorded. And that's a slight exaggeration. But I don't think I don't think it's just that we're not freaked out. I, I think, you know, plenty of people out there uh, will raise an eyebrow at the new cameras being put on the corner of every building. And lots of people grumble about red light cameras appearing everywhere, usually because it means that you can't do something you've always done. But not freaked out is the opposite of what's going through the head of the people who go out and spend money on a device to put inside their homes to surveil them. Well, and that is the level of going to way on the other other side of that. And both arguments, I think, can be made for those. But just looking at the difference between those two time periods. And the, the argument is, is entirely convenience, by the way. Convenience and security have been against each, at odds with each other for as long as there have been convenience and security. And people choose convenience right up until something bites them. Well, right. 
and there's I'm going to look at these devices, these smart devices in two different ways. And I know I bring this up a lot, but as a guy who lost vision in one eye recently, I'm like, hey, if I lose the other one, I'm really happy these things exist that I can talk to to get content because that would make life a lot more convenient and a lot easier. But from a technical standpoint, what is the difference to you, Sir Ryan Bemrose, tech expert, between the cell phone that everybody carries with them and these smart devices? Um, well, the main difference is that people are carrying the cell phones with them right which means they're actually worse well as far as spying capabilities the thing that you carry with you when you're at home when you're at work at a you know at a sensitive business meeting while you're you know out on a date all these things that are very intimate moments going on you know when you get home and you throw it on the bedside table while you're going to do you know stuff all these things i think are in, in a much more intimate well i think the the main difference the the main difference is is not strictly a technical difference but in terms of of how it's being used the alexa device the appliance the the thing that you put in your house to listen is actually installed as an appliance there is no legitimate supported way to run alternate software on there or to configure it or to modify or or in particular in this discussion to lock it down to improve security if you put it in your house it's listening to you that is its function and that is a nearly the extent of all of its configurability uh the phone in your pocket is actually a a computer and even the the most uh, authoritarian of silicon valley phone companies still allow you to configure your phone in such a way that at least they tell us it's not always listening. Right. I was going to say, do you believe that? Because that's the question to me, because the technology is there for those to always be listening. There's a vast majority of people who opt into that. And maybe it's uh, I'm not really sure. Maybe the troll room can help. Is this an opt in or an opt out thing now, as far as your average Android and Apple device to be able to go, hey, Google, or to be able to go Siri? Is that opt in or opt out where the phones will automatically talk to you? Well, first, let's let's define the scope of the conversation. If if you are going to take the position that you cannot trust Google or Apple at all in any of or in their operating system, then your recourse is you don't put a listening puck in your house and you don't carry a smartphone and you go all off the grid and you'll go get an E71, which is still a great phone, just doesn't do much. Obviously, that's not terribly convenient. So a lot of people have chosen to at least believe what companies like Google and Apple say publicly about what their devices do. And they will say, and according to their public statements, you have the ability to tell your Android phone not to listen to you. And you don't really have an option to use your OK Google or your Hey Alexa or whatever. There, there is no function wherein you have that device at all that it's not listening to you because that's the whole point. Well, but that is with again, uh, void zero in the chat room is saying it is a fake opt out on these Apple and Android devices, which to me puts these two things. If I have a cell phone, let's just stick in the Android thing. Let's forget Apple. for like, a minute. Like I said, if you were, if you really don't believe that they're turning off of the device, they, if, if you don't believe they're turning it off when you ask them to turn it off, 
then you don't trust the company at all and you shouldn't carry the device around with you. That's just dumb. Right. But then if you do, there's really zero difference between the Google box that sits on your nightstand and your phone. Yeah. And if I walk around in front of a red light camera naked, then there's a good chance that there will be pictures out on the Internet later. Oh, there are. I'll, I'll be posting that to the uh, to the don't website. Do that. Because- we want our listeners. We don't want to send them all into shock and therapy. But this brings us to the point of Void Zero also says people don't know what's being done with their data. And that is the point of what we wanted to really talk about today with surveillance is that people don't realize what all of these things that they're being caught doing. And maybe that's a bad word caught what you're being surveilled doing that all this stuff adds up into a profile and all of these things. Right now, you're not hearing a whole lot of stories about these kind of things going bad, but it's starting to get there. We had talked about on another show about a guy who just happened to be in the area of a murder, and he wasn't a suspect in any other way, shape, or form. It was just that his phone happened to be in the area at about the same time that a murder occurred, and they picked him up and held him for questioning because his phone was there. That was the only information they had. That was the only thing going against this guy. He didn't have any relationship to the person that was murdered. There was nothing else tying him to this, but his phone was in the area. And that was enough to get him picked up and harassed. And that is where this kind of stuff starts getting scary to me. Starts? Yeah. I mean, more than starts, because you can't have that where you know, if that's the only information, it's like, I mean, at least if you could have tied that, well, let's see, uh, the Ryan Bemrose was in this area, but look, he also knew this person from, you know, you have to put a few more puzzle pieces together. And that's the problem with this system. I, I'm, I'm all for a good anti-technology rant, but if you, no matter what the technology can do, if you have an authoritarian police state who are going to suspect every one of the citizens for the crime of being a citizen, then if that's the case, then technology is, is not your friend and you should live in the stone age, but you, but can you, I I think, I think, well, I I can, because there's a lot of woods out here until they find me with the black (laughs) helicopters. But I, 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 I mean, you're railing against the tools that you're that the police are using when uh you know the real problem might just be it, it's not don't make the tools the real problem might be let's try to convince humans to stop using the tools against each other in such nefarious ways i actually do have a philosophy about uh ubiquitous surveillance and it's not going to be a very popular one but that is that uh as as you may have already noticed it's kind of inevitable it's really hard to rewind technology. I don't think anybody's ever done it. Well, yeah, cell phones aren't going away. Well, and, and technology in general, we're not, we're not going to put the genie back in the bottle. We're not going to reverse the, the tendency to put out red light cameras. We're not going to reverse the, uh, you know, we're, we're probably not even going to be able to convince airlines to let us use paper boarding passes again instead of using facial recognition. Ubiquitous surveillance is, is inevitable because it's so convenient. Uh, it's extremely convenient for the companies that seek to control you and for the governments that seek to control you. And it's being spread as extra convenient even for the people. And I think that the listening devices in our houses prove that that's going to happen. So the question is, what can you do to work through this if, if you as a person are being surveilled all the time in every way? 
Well, maybe, and here's, here's where I go crackpot. This is the radical idea. Maybe what if it went both ways? What if the public also had ubiquitous surveillance into what was going on inside of the Silicon Valley companies? What's going on inside the FBI, the NSA? Would that be so bad? How much of a problem would it be if you're being tracked everywhere you go and every, and the, you know, the, NSA knows every single move you make if you also have the ability to know everything that they do. Well, that's when this all gets shut down really quick, I think, because the people in power, once you can see what they're doing, I think maybe then all this technology does somehow find a way to get blown up. But this, again, if you go back to 1980, just again, a random date, but none of this stuff existed. You could move from point to point, except maybe if you were doing airline travel and that if you had a fake ID, you were probably good to go in all of these things. Now, I keep hearing that you don't even need ID to travel. Yeah, I've heard that, too, but I've never heard anybody that actually. Right. I, when you go to my wife once thought she had lost her license when we got to the airport, ended up finding it after like 10, 15 minutes, I had fallen to the bottom of a bag. But with that said, for that time period, the airlines weren't like, hey, yeah, no problem. Come on, get on the plane. It was like, uh, uh-uh. You ain't getting on the plane. So I don't know how that works. I've heard that same story too, but I've also heard stories from people that say federal income tax is illegal. And if you just tell them that and you don't have to pay and (laughs) you would like Uh, that. Well, okay. The first part I can even get on board with because there's some pretty compelling arguments that it's illegal. But as with ultimately all laws, uh, the simple fact is that the people who are coming to take your money away from you, whether you believe they deserve it or not, they have guns and they have more guns than you and they're going to take your money. That's how it works. And if you don't give them your money, they're going to take your freedom. You know, the, the law is not some mystical thing that suddenly grants somebody the certain abilities. The law is just a framework in which society decides that people with guns will be sent to your house to coerce you into doing things. And in another test of this ubiquitous surveillance, the overlord Void Zero has joined the call. How are you, Mark? Hey, guys. Can you hear me? Barely. I hope you. Ah, uh, yeah. Let me see if I can. Uh, there, okay, can that's crank okay. up my volume there. Okay. Way loud. Way loud. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> that, Way loud. That about, uh, Still loud. How about this? That's good. Right about there, I think. Okay, let's let's go with this. There we go. <laughs> okay, that's good. He went from we couldn't hear him to deafening us. So, hey, no agenda stream. <laughs> I'm sorry. It is the great void oh, zero. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm at home. I I am uh, at home. I'm stealing some time from uh, from Stephen. Oh, hi, Stephen. Our playtime. Our playtime together. Hi, Stephen. Say well, hello. 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 <laughs> hello to hello. the. See, once Stephen's talk, nobody cares about anything we say. But Stephen's more interesting. <laughs> it's a no agenda stream. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is, Stephen. Can you say yeah, grumpy yeah, old yeah. Benz? <laughs> Stephen has been proven to be the most popular podcaster on the entire No Agenda Network. This, uh, these are the grumpy old Benz. The grumpy old Benz. Yes, that's it's exactly. I will uh, uh, next time. Yeah, next time I'm in my uh, in my uh, studio, I will uh, record it properly for you. How's that? Thank you. And 
What are your thoughts on this ubiquitous surveillance topic, Void Zero? Uh, let's see if we can, uh, if this is possible to do with a three-year-old who is uh, very much craving for me to go and play with him after his <laughs> afternoon nap. Well, you know, the, the three-year-old um, probably has a very interesting and unique perspective on surveillance, given that he grew up in a different time than the rest of us. A little yeah, bit. Yeah, right now that's still in, uh, in under construction, I think. Yes. So it's uh, it's all intake and no output yet for him. But once he gets to a point where he can uh, give us his views, I will be sure to uh, make them known to uh, the No Agenda Network. We'll, we'll listen on his uh, podcast for that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the Stephen podcast. Oh, I cannot wait, honestly. Um, no, the point I wanted to make about the, uh, you know, the collection of data is basically uh, what is happening uh, now, what is being built right now is uh, the kind of a system that people... Well, this is something that is grown in a technical sense, but not in a biological sense. So, uh, you know, uh, we uh, the communities that, that grew organically were, of course, all people uh, seeing what everyone is doing. And so their, their social control, you know, as soon as someone who is a stranger to your community enters the community, people will notice and they will share data with each other. They will share, well, we saw someone, we didn't know if we could trust them. We saw him uh, walking to your, uh, to your house or whatever. Uh, is all of that okay? Just going to prove that migrants have been a problem throughout history. Yeah, well, you know, especially migrants who look differently from uh, native populations, of course. And this is a biological phenomenon. So people, uh, you know, we we all are able to adapt to what is happening in a similar uh, speed, in a similar situation. But with the kind of data that is being aggregated on mass via Internet and via, you know, new technologies, uh, but also uh, data that is being aggregated via like medical records and and, and traffic analysis and internet traffic analysis and you know the, the kind of uh, like uh, automobile traffic analysis we are not able to comprehend this on an individual scale so one person is not able to grasp the the size and the scope of what exactly is being built and i think nobody even the tech companies there's not an individual who totally understands what's being built here cognitively no not at all even when I was there, not, not a single person understood how Windows worked, for example. Exactly, because there are so many components and we, we don't have the ability to see what each of us is, uh, you know, in, in, in terms of coding is putting into those systems. So it's, we are building a gigantic black box with each other. And this is when people stop caring about it because we don't have the mental capacity to to grasp what is being built here and i think we are currently at a point where the system is kind of building itself we are progressing forward and we are getting a certain uh, idea uh, put into code but the entire scope is way too big to uh, to understand it sounds like what you're saying is that it's only a matter of time before skynet achieves consciousness <laughs> well, uh, yes, but I, I, I even wonder, aren't we already there? Because this is such a, a power-hungry system and it gives us jobs and it gives us job security and it generates, uh, you know, or it helps the economy, et cetera, et cetera. And it gives, you know, the big companies their, their power. Uh, I, I completely agree that uh, these systems are are more complex than, than we've ever had in the past. But I think that's an inevitable result of the fact that we, for, for the first time in human history, we now 
have the thinking machines. We have things that can think on scales larger than the human brain is can comprehend when, right. when it was just humans comprehending them, you, you were limited to what a human could understand. And the scary thing is we're un, incapable of comprehending what these machines are thinking about. So if they are indeed thinking, then we'll never know. Yes. And this was also a problem with the, uh, you know, especially uh, during the Snowden revelations that we kind of understood that, for example, those big data centers from the NSA were able to, uh, you know, take uh, suck up all of the data, but interpreting the data, that was where the problem was. So that's also, uh, you know, that's also an example of how people don't, uh, or aren't even capable in the technical sense to parse all of that data. But as we, you know, chug along, those things will change and we will get more intelligent systems designed to uh, parse uh, the data in a certain way. But what this does and what I think people uh, don't realize, but is, is, is essential to the whole thing, is that this is a non-biological uh, uh, system. So all of the things we are capable of, of understanding and uh, and uh, working with and living with are just not valid in the uh, in the technical sense anymore and we nobody really knows where we're going with this but uh, you know it's it's reasonable to uh, to assume that where we're going with this first is uh, development of a military capacity because the first thing you would want to do as a military is you want to be stronger than your opponents so that means that you you want to have the stronger uh, weapons, the stronger uh, information analysis, and so on. Because if you don't, then you are risking, you know, your own annihilation. Because somebody else will get stronger. So it will always be an existential threat that will be mitigated, and that is also uh, one of the, f- for, you know, first and foremost uh, reasons for developing the the information system. And the other one is, of course, money and greed. Well, I'm all for money and greed. Well, there's always money and greed, but isn't a big part of this problem, though, a lot of this data used to be collected by smaller entities and it wasn't shared, you know, meaning, you know, the FBI had their bit, your local police had their bit. And then even let's get to the casinos had their bit and everything that people were collecting. There was their own little private database, which on each of them on their own was relatively not that scary. Yeah, well, almost. Well, there's one thing you uh, you uh, you over overlook, I think, and that is that the banking system has always had all of the financial information and has always been able to share those amongst banks. And of course, there's competition between banks, but that only goes so far. So, you know, the higher up you get, especially with the international money transfers and so on, uh, the less of uh, concerns there are for individual privacy, because now you're not dealing with individuals anymore and you're dealing with something outside of the realm of legislature and so on. So in the banking system, there's always been a totalitarian uh, vision and a totalitarian uh, perspective on what is happening with transactions. And yeah, that, that I think is, is of course, like the, the, the blood flow of society is, is the money. Is it possible that some of this issue is just a little bit overblown by alarmists like us who look back to when we were children or we didn't have this technology and now we do have this technology and and look things have changed because one thing that that i think comes out came out of your argument uh is 
that is exceptional about the modern age that we never really had that much before is uh, the rate of technological change. I mean, uh-huh. uh, introducing fire to prehistoric humans must have been incredible. This thing that kills us is now a tool that we use. But other than the couple generations that were there when it was first introduced, it was either you always had fire or you always didn't have fire. And you know, the same is true for every technology that that has come in and changed is the first couple generations that are introduced to it grew up without it and then suddenly have it and they're suspicious and i think that that's definitely happening to us now the big difference is that the rate of change has accelerated to the point where everything in the entire world is changing constantly all the time and i think it's shell shocking people yes exactly but is it possible Because humans are incredibly adaptive creatures. Is it possible that once all of the old curmudgeons who never knew uh, a world that they weren't constantly surveilled like us, if if once we all die and people like Steven who grow up in a world where that's just normal, maybe they're not going to be that worried about it because, yeah, we get this. Uh, The other thing that the passage of time allows, which, again, we haven't had yet, is the movement of the Overton window. It's the. A idea that people will just get used to things. You know, maybe we're all freaked out about surveillance because we were never surveilled. I mean, that that much is pretty clear from this conversation. But if we were all always surveilled, it also it also de- depends on on um, convenience, I guess. And um, you know, because when the television was introduced, people were totally on board with knowing everything about televisions. And my father can tell you stories about how there was one television in you know the village, and the kids would just go to the house and watch through the window right. to what was happening inside of the house because there was this amazing new thing where you could see people in a box you know uh, which was a television and that was a kind of that was totally not um, adopted um, by most people as uh, you know most people weren't really afraid of that kind of intro, uh, introduction to uh, new technology and the same with the phones of course right but this isn't the this isn't the same thing this isn't the same thing at all because fire was a tool that people could use and you know you could teach somebody how to use that TV was the same thing it was a tool people could use but it didn't affect your life, meaning if you didn't have a TV, you didn't have firewall. Okay, maybe you couldn't cook your food, but something wasn't going to happen to you because of this. And this is where this data thing comes in, though. But wait, be the when you have something like you see what goes on on Twitter. I mean, in the massive size, not even like the deplatformings of you know Alex Jones and that. But you see that if somebody dares post something, whether they meant it or whether it was misconstrued, that the public finds offensive, like this idiotic thing with the Cub fan making the upside down okay thing. All of a sudden, your life is going to be ruined because you're going to be labeled as something. And that's where this constant surveillance, this isn't fire. This is now some idiot that did something making the okay symbol. What? Who cares what he even meant by it but you know you're going to be labeled as something for the rest of your life you may be harassed you know at least in the short term massively maybe for the long term this constant surveillance and treating people as data you know and maybe people will get used to it due to the overton window and everybody will be happy slaves that just shut up and take it but this is not the same thing as fire or television that's totally different concepts because you're dealing with what you're talking about here are people's lives 
and what is the, the things that are going to happen to them because of that. And besides, hey, I could watch my show or I could cook my food. Nothing happened to you because of fire and TV. Not to detract from your point, but Twitter is the online version of Lord of the Flies. And I sure to hell hope not that we don't derive our social norms from that whole but we are i mean if you see what's been going on we are this is how people are getting labeled and people are freaking out and people are getting pigeonholed because of their views and it's not just twitter it's twitter it's facebook it's you know even mastodon to you know people aren't getting deplatformed but people argue you know people will label you know they'll attack people on these types of things on these different services and this this all goes down to something to where i don't know how you get used to this and how if you go say well this is fine I, maybe it will but i don't you know the the, the one thing i uh, that's interesting to me in all of this is that we still have to deal with language barriers so you know the uh, the 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 population this the the group of uh, people who speak english have to deal with each other so you see that europe especially and uh, you know uh, especially uh, uh, the the part of europe which speaks english so you know germany a little bit less france a little bit less but many countries uh, a little bit more depending on how well the population speaks English they really get involved into uh, the same kind of politics on social networks that also happen with uh, inside of the US and inside of Britain but if you look at for example the interaction between communities that don't speak the same language it's it's minimal so we don't really interact a lot with for example India or Pakistan or and that is very fascinating to me is that this is also the scope of where um, you know uh, uh, culture kind of changes and that goes back to well you know hoping that Twitter won't get a, a bigger str- stronghold on on you know public discourse and, and everything which I agree with you Darren is already happening um, but I think that, that was my main point is that this um, scope is limited still to languages so that's just a fascinating uh, aside point I guess I wanted to make yeah that is true you don't really read a lot if you don't understand the language you can't watch their news and you certainly can't read their newspapers there are some uh, people that are you know covering this but you can still look at their porn <laughs> well you see is that the is that the bottom line there is that what's going to bring all these cultures together sir bemrose well there are certain biological universals that that transcend language and i think the the fact that we all like boobs is one of them but go on <laughs> well yeah but maybe younger generations don't have the same inclination towards watching porn as older generations do for who this was all new it seems to be that there is a conservative movement especially in the in the west where people are now learning about the dangers uh, you know uh, with regards to uh, pornography and hidden hedonism uh, as well so uh, this is all also not set in stone like you know the porn industry will always stay big because there will be a time i think when people will learn about the dangers and might reject this uh, uh, type of development and it's also always that you know younger generations basically reject what the older uh, generations are doing because they have a desire to feel unique and this is like a societal pendulum movement between liberal uh, developments and conservative developments and right now i think also what you see uh on uh well for example in my country is that where we used to be um very tolerant on on like schools for example 
there is now also starting to become a move towards becoming more conservative and more protective of the own culture. So nothing here is set in stone, but the only thing that keeps on chugging forward, regardless of what is happening with people on a biological sense, is the, uh, the parsing and the, uh, you know, the interpretation of data. And I think that that is, is something that we, we, uh, we will never really understand. So this is what gives it, you know, basically a free play to move forward and influence society and, you know, build on to uh, more globalization, which isn't the same as globalism, which is more of a political uh, uh, development. But, you know, uh, the integration of systems uh, and building what could become some kind of a social uh, credit score system like in China, those are the things that we do see happening right now and are starting to affect our lives and are starting to make people aware. But I, I kind of fear that it might be a little bit too late. Oh, I think you're right. I think it is getting quite late when this kind of stuff comes around because so much behavior is on the internet. So, I mean, you don't even need to be surveilled. People, you're putting it out there for people when you, uh, Net Ned in the chat room was saying that somebody just got a, fired from where he worked for making a comment about a Muslim swimsuit model. I believe there's a Muslim girl that's going to be in the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue that's coming up. So there's there are things that this constant surveillance, not just, I mean, we used to talk about surveillance. It was scary, you know, the government. You look at 1984 the book, uh, not the year, but when you look at things like that were going on in China now that have been going on in the you know Soviet Union with the KGB and people were afraid of the government surveilling them. Now we're afraid because everybody's surveilling us, you know, whether you're afraid of Amazon or Google or Apple or just everybody that's watching what you say on Twitter and something that is obviously a joke today. Something that's not offensive today. Go back to you know the random thought shows I did on Kate Smith, who sang a song in 1933 and is now being ostracized today. How many of our tweets, how many of our public messages, how much of our podcasts that are perfectly legitimate, not meant to be offensive, not meant to be anything to go be wrong, whatever wrong is at the time. How many of these things in 10, 20, 100 years, we're going to be looked at as horrible, horrible people? I mean, do you not think that's going to happen? Well, far be it from me to ever want to be a uh, a sunshiny ray of hope in this (laughs) doom fest here. But uh, I think my outlook is is a little bit higher, a little bit better than yours. And maybe that has to do with the fact that I'm not on Twitter at all. So I'm not looking at this echo chamber. But the one constant in all of human development, no matter what we've done, no matter what we've changed, no matter what technology has hath wrought upon us. The one constant is humans and for better or worse, technology is changing at an astounding rate and humans are not changing at all. That was kind of my point with regards to pornography. For example, every single time that there's been a new technology, the porn industry has flourished using it right up until uh, some authoritarian then comes in and says, no, you should never look at porn and shuts it down as much as they can. And then it continues in the black market. But that, Independent of technology, there's always demand for that because people are not changing. People don't change quickly enough to people like convenience and that's driving the advancement. But people are also incredibly adaptable. People are smart in general, stupid in groups, but in the individual smart. Well, but isn't that the problem with all this social stuff is that you're automatically in a group. So free thinking is 
at least to me, that would be the number one thing that's being shot down at this point is to be an individual thinker because you have to go along with the group, whether it's about climate change, whether it's about was this guy making a white power symbol or was he just playing a stupid game? I mean, once the crowd comes in, it's very hard to be have an individual viewpoint that differs from that. Isn't that probably the biggest danger of all this? Well, the common denominator here is is greed, of course. It's not convenience. Convenience is a lesser form of greed. Right now, this, uh, you know, the story about the Cubs and the white power symbol, which isn't even a white power symbol to begin with, but okay. Uh, the reason that this is happening right now is because uh, of the desire to control a certain narrative, which is which which goes to greed and i think that um you know the same is is the case for uh people giving their opinions on on twitter and instagram and we saw the same thing with uh you know the instagram uh, uh especially uh you know the 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 like uh, the adolescent girls who really craved attention which uh you know shifted from uh you know uh, posting everything about yourself to okay maybe we need to be a little bit less uh, or m- a little bit more careful about this, but I, I just wanted to highlight the idea that you know the the development in society more than convenience is driven by greed, financial greed, uh, greed over the narrative, uh, you know, and, and, and all kinds of things controlling other people's lives. Right, power, which is a, a form of power, which is also basically greed. You know, I can say something about you, which uh, makes me, you know, uh, enforce more power over you. So yeah, I, uh, I think that that is uh, right now what is driving us forward. Uh, if you you have no idea how much I've seen the increase of Tesla cars in my city here, it's amazing. Like in in just uh, six months, the amount of Teslas that's been driving here is just you know grown exponentially. And I think that's also an expression of greed. Basically. Hold on a moment. I, let's not be quite so quick to to demonize greed as a concept i know it's it's fun to look at all of the bad things that greed does and hate on it but uh the three most powerful human motivators in this in psychology are fear shame and greed and uh, of the three of those given that capitalism is still the best method that we've ever come up with to form a society and the only one we've ever found that can actually guarantee a free society capitalism's entire driving force is greed uh and if your if your choices are you do you want to drive your society by greed which is capitalism or by shame which is religious autocracy or by fear which is a dictatorship authoritarianism and I'll take greed amongst those. Now, sure, lots of people. Just to say, all three of those are gonna are gonna be spying on their people. Well, they- <laughs> who wouldn't who wouldn't take greed? By the way, because that's the only thing that you you how you can use to your advantage. You can get more of something, and shame is basically you know the same energy as greed, but just the reversal of it, the uh, the, the converse of it. So uh, it it basically what sh- what shame. I mean, I don't want to get all philosophical here, but you know, shame. Basically Basically, it's the same thing. It's just the the inverse of it, I guess. So, uh, so that those two might cancel each other out. Anyway, I, I'm not sure where I want to go with this, but, <laughs> but yeah. now here's the question. Then, with well, all I, of this, I apologize for getting philosophical yet again. Yeah, don't ever do that again, Sir Ryan Bemrose. But here's the real question with this surveillance culture, this ubiquitous surveillance. If you want to live 
in an area and it's not just the United States, but I think it's worse. Although the UK may be worse because again, like you said, porn, you have to register to view porn now in the UK. So let's just look at that as the ultimate surveillance state. But if you want to live in a country or in an area that isn't out off the grid in the woods, if you want to live in a normal city, normal suburb type situation, wherever you are, can you avoid the surveillance in the short term yes in the long term no if you live in a house that's built like we live in a house that's been built in the in, in the late 80s no the, the early 80s 1982 there are no te- there's no technology in this house that is more advanced than my central heating system but if we if there's a time when we move to something that is newer then the uh, the more surveillance stuff like you know the smart energy meter and all that kind of stuff will already be in place so it's it's you know so it's we can avoid it by staying in older homes but as soon as we move to somewhere new where those systems are already in place we we lose our choice yeah and they've already retrofit us here for the gas company the power company uh it's all and the water company you know the local uh, government with the water but all of them have installed smart meters so they can now view our usage real time and that kind of scares me as well right and i always i always wonder what else are we going to get over our power net because you know uh the energy we take from the from the uh from the outlets right now is on a certain frequency but we already know that there it's also possible for data to be transmitted over the power uh lines so it's only a matter of time before that also happens and the communication via the power net would be the next logical step in the technological evolution that i can see where we don't depend on you know uh different systems in that regard anymore but get our internet straight from the power sockets which is also being advanced very quickly with the deployment of ipv6 which means that every single device can get its own unique address and will be able to you know communicate also in its own unique way with uh the the central nervous system that we are currently building in the technological world so it's a matter of time and it's it's only going one one direction i think that all of the discussions we are uh we are having with each other in the public uh, domain are about grasping what is happening but not about influencing what is happening because we don't have the influence over this and uh uh, this seems to be like uh, you know a theme that we are currently in uh in 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 the development of human beings and uh, you know this is the same reason why i always have to laugh when people talk about will uh one day the uh the uh you know robots uh, come and uh, destroy us all because the human beings don't have purpose in the eyes of robots anymore and stuff like that but i think that this is all about integration it is about even about merging biology biology and uh, technology uh humans won't fade out uh you know or be destroyed but we will get more to um i don't know a, a kind of um a mix between technology and biology and 
everything that has ever happened on the planet has been with humans with regards to humans is about integration so even the fire that we spread in you know from the uh, from the arcane villages uh was something that uh, you know uh, started somewhere and become became widespread and known which was basically uh you know the integration of fire into our lives and from that came metal and and so on and so forth with uh, regards to computers first we had individual systems that we could build but we wanted to integrate the different components of computers into bigger systems so this is kind of in our nature is to integrate and to make something that we see as separate into a whole system again uh, so I don't think that robots will come to annihilate us but I think that we also will not be uh, you know that humans as we know it right now will also not be something that is there for all eternity in the same way that Neanderthal were only there for uh, for a period of time that uh, the humans that we look at right now will also you know dissolve into something much bigger where technology and human beings will become one more and more and maybe there will also stay the uh, you know the native uh, or how you say like societies that won't have technology like the Amish for example so it's not like one will completely replace the other uh, especially not on the short run. No, but what but, you're going to have... Yeah, there, are, there are a lot of things to... What uh, you're going to yeah. have more and more, though, are the machines that we buy and the appliances that we use. I wouldn't call them robots, but they are going to be surveilling us. I mean, how long until every time you take a crap in the new 2.0 toilets where they will be looking at your movements and reporting back to your doctor? Oh, look, his cholesterol's high, his sugar is high, or your refrigerator We'll be reporting back, you know, hey, everything in this guy's fridge is like beer and cheese. That doesn't seem very healthy. I think it will go. It, it will even go a different direction. I think that there will be augmentations to the physical body. So as soon as, you know, the quickest uh, thing to do when the cholesterol is out of control is to change something in the brain that uh, reduces the cravings for that kind of a food that increases cholesterol. So even that will take a different route than just reporting to the doctor or something, because we won't have a need for doctors anymore, except for, you know, implanting stuff into our bodies. And for us, this feels like a very, very foreign concept. But I think if you look f further down the line and, you know, uh, the freak scenarios have all been, uh, have all passed, like uh, people uh, using this for decorative purposes or, hey, look what I can do with my third, uh, you know, uh, 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 arm, you know, my, uh, what's the name for this? My, uh, uh, penis technological arm I forgot <laughs> the proper name but I think that is the the, the way that this will go so um, there will be a fulfillment of desires uh, what you know uh, Huxley calls Soma that will always be there and it will also you know like these are the neurological releases that we get um, but bionic uh, uh, you know things like bionic arms or stuff like that and then we will move forward and we will learn how to um, make our bodies more 
well, smart in a sense than what purely the biology is doing. So that's the kind of the direction I see we're going to go moving forward. And of course, you've got the military, which has its own uh, incentives, like creating a super soldier, the kind of a soldier that is able to replace its own uh, um, uh, body parts and that is able to uh, not feel uh, pain and stuff like that. And, you know, uh, that might be very scary, but as soon as we realize that that stuff can also be used to annihilate groups like ISIS, then suddenly it's not just a bad idea anymore. It might also be a good idea. I don't know about that. Yeah, there's a very thin line over, well, you know, as soon as, as you've got these terrorist groups annihilating people based on their faith or based on, I don't know, the, the, the kind of clothing they wear, then for the military, this will be an incentive. Now, do we agree with this? No. But does a general uh, refuse based on moral grounds well i've never really heard of the military not doing things based on moral grounds sir bemrose please report to operating room 33 your implants are ready i i find it funny we moved off of uh off of philosophy and right into science fiction here uh yes one thing that actually i'm I'm just going to note is uh that of all of the people who seem to be concerned about this new technological world that we're running headlong into uh the only ones that are really screaming about it are the it guys the dudes named ben the the people who understand the technology the anybody who who just goes with what they're told and it doesn't really care too much about technology doesn't know too much is perfectly fine being surveilled but people like void zero who knows more than all of the rest of us combined about these new technologies he is frightened of this technology and i think that that's telling uh but what it tells me well yeah but the reason sorry the reason is i know how code works and it's never clean so that means that there are mistakes and the mistakes can be exploited yeah i'm not so so much fearful because i think that you know this is still in the eye of the beholder and even me with my conservative views uh i know that you know uh, technology can be used for good or for bad and you cannot stop it all uh, so I'm just worried about my own life, but not really about where society as a whole is going to. But what this tells me is it doesn't tell me that we have uh, a technology problem. What it tells me is that we have an information problem because we, as the people who understand these things, are apparently doing a really piss poor job of convincing anybody else that we need to slow down, that there are certain uses of the technology that we should not be pursuing with such zest uh that that there are things to be careful of because i if everybody in the world had the same level of concern that you do because you understand it i don't think that we'd be having this discussion i think that we'd be you know oh yes technology is fantastic and we all love it and look how much nicer it's made our lives and nobody would be trying to use it to destroy the world or transform humans into some kind of sex robot hybrids Right. And I think that is that is the bottom line, because it can't be avoided. If you go get a cabin out in the middle of nowhere, you can avoid this for a while. But as I just said, the neighborhood that I'm living in, which is just your average Chicago suburb, you already have people watching your electric gas and water usage real time. So anything I do in my house, I mean, I guess I could not use any of those things, but that's also then kind of they know something. 
So there's there's data being made whether I want it or not. I can turn everything else off. I can turn all the smart devices off. I can turn all the computers off. I can unplug the modem. I can turn phones off and everything like that and have a relative amount of privacy. I understand that that's possible in my house. No cameras, no recording devices. But the minute I walk outside, that's screwed because of things like the doorbell cams, because of things like you're being surveilled everywhere you go, which is if you drive a car, you have to have a license plate on it, which means even if you don't have a GPS tracker on your car, and most do now, even if you're not using it, they're built in for these OnStar type things. So even if you're not using that, the GPS is there. But even if you could somehow disconnect that GPS, you're going to go through, drive down the street, which I did. You are a very smart man, Brian Bemrose. And you go down the street and these cameras are going to get you. So I don't believe that you can do anything at this point outside of your house and not be surveilled. And that whether you don't care about that or not, whether you believe in humanity and that this data is not going to be used against you, I look at it in a very different way. That this is, the question is, why are we allowing ourselves to be surveilled? The other thing is, back in the day, if somebody wanted to wiretap somebody, if the government wanted to do that and get a, you know, a tap on somebody's phone, they actually had to have access to that residence. They actually had to go in and do things. Now, you can monitor like millions of people at these massive uh, junctions that these data, you know, the AT&T, whatever that are handling these phone calls and stuff like that. It's not if you want to if you want to put a tap on somebody now, it's not go to their house. It's like tap a few things on a computer and somebody at AT&T or whoever is running their phones. They press a button and damn, you're in. George's question to everything uh, that we talked about would be so what? Because it helps my uh, my convenience. George is the kind of guy, if he could, he would install uh, Alexa even on his bathroom because he has those things <laughs> everywhere. I talk with him when, because I am working with him. Does on George his, understand how these things work like you do? Uh, I think he on, on some level understands, but he just, he doesn't care about any of it. He just says, you know, the companies, uh, it would be um, paranoid to think that they would really uh, try to affect you on a personal scale. And we've been working on the migration of his uh, his company to a new server and also uh, to uh, improve the, you know, the code on his server. And we found a developer who wants to use GitHub. So I said, well, listen, there are also uh, alternatives to hosting your code on a third party service that can keep your code in house. And George said, why would I want that? If the service is already there, then let's just use the service because this will um, this might cost me less. And I don't have the same amount of paranoia as you do. And I think, you know, for me, it is it is always 50 50. There's always 50% of myself thinking, why do I worry? And there's always 50% of myself thinking, I just I don't like the feeling of being watched okay so, so i think that that is uh that is a, an emotion the feeling of being watched and i think that the, if tech companies are smart for their for themselves then they will keep working and and you know building onto their systems and the only thing that they will try to do is to keep giving people the feeling that no you are not being watched while your data is being interpreted but you just don't have okay, that feeling I, I agree with so. you here uh but i'm gonna say something that that should never be said on any podcast ever. And that is uh, we're running up against a hard break. So we need to let's uh, <laughs> uh, just a couple minutes to get last points in before we hand the stream over for the always excellent no agenda show. I, I clearly don't share your sense of impending doom 
that that you and and I certainly understand the technology, but uh, everything in human history has always been a pendulum. And I think that that just saying that the the only trends are downward, no matter what, uh, is you're you're ignoring uh, some signs that that some people are getting fed up. Uh, they Edward Snowden disclosures was certainly uh, evidence that that people are getting fed up. Yeah, but that- they are getting fed up with how the data is being used, not with the, they're being fed up with a lack of transparency, for but, example. But you're you're not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to reverse technology. The only thing that you can do is, no, 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 is I, re-normalize. I agree. And, I, and, and right. So, and to, to be honest, I don't have a feeling of impending doom. It's just it's, I realize that the scope of my own um, convenience is limited basically to what Darren said to my own house. Well, and to my own decisions. So I, I think that that there's been a lot of things that have have caused people to start. To, uh, li- the the problem here is not the technology. I don't believe the problem is how people are using it. And I'm seeing a lot of evidence that people are fighting back against some of the authoritarian trends. And yeah, it it always goes slow, and the the pendulum always swings slowly. But uh, the election of Trump and the uh, the Brexit are certainly evidence of, of populist movements that are people trying to take back from some of the authoritarians. And I think that if that continues, then we're probably going to be, uh, we're, we're going to see things swing the other way and we're going to have another return to the, the free love era of the sixties. If things go too far. Well, and my problem with the ubiquitous surveillance, and it's it could probably go on for a few more shows, just covering the intricacies of this is the amount of data that's collected, the lack of security around the data and how it can be used against somebody as idiotic as a tweet ruining somebody's life because they said something racist or stupid or allegedly racist or stupid. And the fact that the data is too easily gotten into the wrong hands. If you wanted to blackmail somebody, you know, if you got a spouse or something that, you know, cheats on you or something like that, it's very easy to get this data. It's way too easy for the wrong data that can screw somebody's life to get into the wrong hands. And that's, I think, something that we're going to have to look at, as well as the fact that a lot of this data could then be faked. So there's there's a whole lot more to talk about. We are running out of time. So Void Zero, what is your last thought on this this surveillance culture? We will have many more opportunities <laughs> to talk about these things because it's only going one way. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's a very interesting thing. And uh, uh, as always, you know, uh, it's the same as with guns. Guns don't shoot people. People shoot people. That is very wise. I just wanted to, to end up with. Uh, it's it's counterproductive to talk about technology as if you can ever uninvent it. That's not how technology works. Once something's out there, it's out there. So the only thing you can do is move forward with it. And I think that right now we've seen a lot of people take this new technology and misbehaving. Um, but as as people adapt and start to understand better uh, what what the ramifications are of this, I think that your things are going to come back to an acceptable normal it'll never be the way that it was before and if you want to have a productive discussion you don't talk about how technology is evil in itself let's talk about how the technology is used and what's going on with it and how you know the 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 real problems seem to be caused by this one-way transfer of data from us to the people who own the data and own the technology and maybe if we get if we get some more information into the hands of people who can do something with it, 
then they'll start to make smarter decisions about it. I don't have an Alexa device or a Google device in my house precisely because I understand how they can work. What if we taught everybody how they work? Let's uh, start listening to Adam. Maybe he has some uh, new stories about the uh, OTG experiment. Yeah. The oh, I hope so. Off the grid experiment. Yeah, my favorite no agenda <laughs> segment. It is hard to get off the grid, and that is the problem. But we'd like to thank Mark Von Dyke of the Mark and George Show. MarkandGeorgeShow.com. Hey, you got my name right. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, uh, Ryan. I, I I got his name right, too. I called him Mark. That's the easy way. But we appreciate the input and joining us here. That's why I like doing these live shows. You get a little bit of a different energy and you know the little bit of arguing that's always fun because that we're trying to hash this stuff out and it's it's not always easy so definitely check out the mark and george show now twice a week and you can always check out my other show randomthoughts.com and this is uh grumpy old bens and if you want to go to the website grumpyoldbens.com there is that little value for value button there if you like what you're hearing feel free to uh buy us a coffee or you know a new handgun or whatever it is you need ryan uh, I need it all. <laughs> I need one of everything. I don't go greed. <laughs> well, okay. See, that's another topic. Ryan Bembro's pro greed, and I'm going to be. Uh, oh no, wait, I got to go pro greed too. So that that really wouldn't uh, that really wouldn't make any sense. But you can always reach out to us, Darren at grumpyoldbends.com or Ryan at grumpyoldbends.com. Tell us what you like, what you don't like, what you want to hear more of, and what you want to hear less of, or whatever. We're always open to hearing what you are enjoying from the left coast of the united states where sunrise is a four-letter word i'm ryan bemrose and from deep in a bunker just outside of chicago illinois we're making the upside down okay symbol is now really bad if you're a cub fan but wait they might not let you back in the park ever again so that might be good i am darren o'neill later